you know, sometimes you need to be shaken up. And it's possible that this country just needed a massive shakeup to remind us that democracy is not something you can just sleep on. You know, you can't be in the back of the car sleeping. You have to be an active participant in it. And when we weren't paying attention, this is what happened. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. We are starting a new series leading up to the midterms called Candidate Conversations, where we chat with candidates from across the country who might not be getting as much press, but whose races are nonetheless deeply important. Major names are always interviewed, and I hope to do a series of good ones with the fan favorites, but I also want to highlight races and people that you might not be as familiar with, but whose victories are essential and who need your support. Today's podcast will be split into individual conversations with two amazing Democratic congressional candidates, Christy Smith from California's 27th Congressional District and Dr. Annie Andrews from South Carolina's 1st. Both these women are running in flippable districts, where there is currently a Republican incumbent, and with the right support, both candidates can and will turn these seats blue. Both are strong advocates of reproductive freedoms, public education, expanded and affordable health care, and protecting our citizenry from gun violence. They are both running against pro-Trump anti-abortion candidates who are against the expansion of voting rights and for the sunsetting of Social Security. I want you to understand why it's important we put these women in Congress and why it's important that no matter who we've supported in the past, that there's only one party right now that is pro-democracy, who will fight for your rights to your own body and who believe government can be a force for good. And even though you might not be from their district or even from their state, you can help and I hope that you will. We start with Christy Smith, a 40-year resident of the city of Santa Clarita, the district she is running to serve. In 2020, she came within 333 votes of beating Republican Congressman Mike Garcia, one of the most extreme right-wing representatives in California. A distinguished state legislator, Smith authored nine bills signed into law by Governor Newsom, focusing on education reform, protection for homeowners, affordable college, and good governance. Christy is the candidate we need, not only to support the district she grew up in and knows intimately, but to replace the far-right voice of her anti-democratic extremist opponent. As Christie says, defending democracy shouldn't be a partisan issue, and it's essential we have representatives in Washington who understand this. So without further ado, please welcome my first guest, community organizer, former California State Assemblywoman, and current congressional candidate for CA27, Christy Smith. Welcome, Christy. Hi. Hey, Hi. Good to be here. Hi. I'm glad you had the time to join us. Honestly, I'm sure you're so busy right now, but I'm really trying to draw people's attention to all the different kinds of races around the country that require our interest, right? 2022 right. is the most consequential election in the history of our nation. And I know people say that all the time, but democracy itself and the kind of country we want to live in is literally on the ballot. So we need to hold the House, which is where you are. We need to expand the Senate. We need to get more Democratic governorships and state legislatures. And we need to prove to the Republican Party that stripping us of our votes and our rights to our own body and undermining our health and our security, both social security and now national security, are losing issues, right? That truth and justice and freedom, these are not just buzzwords, but ideals that we are going to fight hard to protect. Absolutely. And in races like mine across the country where we're right on that purple bubble 
uh, is where it's really going to be a proof point for exactly everything that you just spoke to. You know, are, are people going to side with Democrats who they see doing the work to improve the material circumstances of their lives? Or are they, you know, going to move with the Republican Party who just seems interested, you know, in an agenda that's it's about objecting and rolling back rights as opposed to moving us all forward? That's right. And you started your career in public service as an analyst at the Department of Education. Yeah. And then you returned to California, which is where you're from, basically, born in Germany, I believe, and then moved right back to the States when you were a tiny baby. Um, And then while you were in California raising your family, you were really active in education, serving on the PTA and as a site council member um, before you were elected to the school board in 2009, which is a tough job. And you even founded and served as a chairwoman for the Valencia Valley Technological Education Foundation. So you are well mired in the education world. So you must have some feelings watching the Republican Party not only attack public education across the country, but the very things that we can learn and we can read and we can even say in our schools these days. Oh, absolutely. It's so personal for me. I mean, first and foremost, because I have been someone who's been a public education advocate for a really long time in both the policy space and in backing up, you know, the short of resources that is so consistent across every level uh, of of education in the country. But now I'm the mom of a first-year teacher. And watching what has happened with classrooms across the country as Republicans have chosen to make our public school classrooms a battlefield, a political battlefield, where it absolutely those conversations have no place. And the states that we are seeing rapidly losing teachers, you know, Florida is now 9,000 teachers short for this school year and really having to go to drastic steps just to try to get adults into the classroom. But we already were starting from a point where teachers are woefully underpaid. And then to go into their classroom and tell them that they can't teach, you know, an accurate representation of American history and to continue to bash them and lay all the ills of society at their feet when it's absolutely not their fault. Um, We see people leaving the profession in droves. That's horrible for our public school system. It's horrible for the future of the country because that's where our citizens get their skill set, right, is through our public schools. And so to start to tear that down um, is just a further erosion of what I believe is the cornerstone of our American democracy. Oh, I totally agree with that. I think we have undermined public schools for years, but now we are demonizing them. And that's no way to raise an educated public or good citizenry. Absolutely. So you were also a successful state legislator for years. And I think recently the general public has become much more aware of the importance of state government. I mean, up until recently, we just heard about politicians in Washington, right? But with all the horrible drama around the 2020 election and the choosing of electors and the certification of votes, and now with Roe being overturned, we can see how essential our state reps are to protecting everything from democracy to our most basic human rights. So you had an important job in the state legislature. What inspired you to want to make the change to run for federal office? Well, it, it was equal parts inspiration and then also the necessity of the moment. When I first ran for this seat, I was incredibly happy to be a state legislator. Um, I love serving in California where we're on the cutting edge of climate policy and union rights and protecting the right to vote um, and a lot of incredible things that we do here that tend to lead the nation in terms of, of policy perspectives. But um, this is the seat where Congresswoman Katie Hill uh, resigned for personal reasons back in late 2019. And uh, I was the Democrat at the time, positioned with enough name ID and ability to raise the resources to try to defend the seat. And then unfortunately, um, at the same time as when COVID took over the world and here in California, (laughs) the infection rates were incredibly high. And so we made some campaign decisions in 2020 that kept our volunteers and our voters safe 
but made a 333 vote gap between me and my Republican opponent, Mike Garcia. So it's a totally brand new ball game this time. And uh, we're excited to be back doing a campaign under normal, quote unquote, normal circumstances. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, as normal as we can be right now. As normal as um, we can be, right. Yeah. Um, so listen, now that you're running against a current congressman that you have run against before, Mike Garcia, who is pro-insurrection, he tweeted about 1776 on January 6th. He's kind of ultra mega, pro-Trump, has already co-sponsored and voted for the Life at Conception Act, which would be a nationwide abortion ban. He voted against protecting contraception, and he recently just compared Biden administration to the Third Reich um, over the mm -hmm. FBI's legal search of Mar-a-Lago. So it seems obvious to me me, but why should people choose you over him? His politics are extreme. They are yeah. too extreme, not only for this district, but they're too extreme for the country. Anyone who has taken the, that oath to protect and defend the Constitution, which I have multiple times, which he did in his service in the military, and then on January 6th could take a vote not to certify an election of the president, um, is a traitor to the country. And every vote he has taken subsequent to that has been extreme and on the margins and not at all in keeping with the politics of this country. And now, even as we've seen with the vote in Kansas on their ballot initiative around reproductive choice it, or the middle of the country either, he's just way too far out there. And he you know, makes a lot of performative nods to being a centrist, but that's not borne out by your votes. And I think you know, the voters here in this district aren't going to fall for it. Yeah. No, you either believe in democracy and the will of the voter or you don't. You either respect and honor the peaceful transfer of power or you do not. You either believe in the fundamental right to bodily autonomy for all people or you don't. And all of his actions say he does not. And so he can exactly. change his website or say whatever he wants to say. But ultimately, it's quite clear how he feels and how dangerous it is to be this kind of extremist right now in America. And Absolutely. I think we just have to be very, very clear that these are not the kind of candidates we're going to send to Washington. Certainly not again and certainly not now that we know what we know. Right. Yeah. And, and especially candidates who are willing to be in these media spaces where they know they are willfully promoting misinformation and disinformation intentionally um, to motivate their base of voters rather than being centered in the truth. Yeah, it's dangerous. There's a lot of violent radicalization happening right now, and it's these voices that are amplifying it. 100%. Now, you've been endorsed by almost everyone there is to be endorsed by, right? From like superstar Congress people like Adam Schiff and Ted Lieu and Senator Alex Padilla to all the union workers across the state, environmental groups, attorney generals, state treasurers, all the reproductive justice warriors like Planned Parenthood and NARAL, Moms Demand Action for Gun Safety, Emily's List, the Council for a Livable World. I mean, everyone loves you. So this is a good thing, right? Um, <laughs> But you're for expanding access to quality, affordable health care. You're for improving public yes. education. You're for defending our reproductive rights and protecting and expanding Social Security, which is now, for some reason, under attack as well. You want to tackle yeah. climate change and environmental justice, and you want to create jobs, right? And an equitable economy mm -hmm. that is pro-union. And we just talked about unions on this show last week and how important they are. So what are you mm -hmm. excited about? These are all issues that I'm passionate about, too. And so what are you most excited about when you get to go to to Washington because I believe we're going to be able to send you there. Yeah, well, I'm excited to hopefully be assigned to the Labor and Education Community uh, Committee because that's my sweet spot of policy expertise and, and where my passion is. But after this last weekend, you touched on something else, and that's protecting and defending Social Security and Medicare. And we know housing costs and cost of health care across the country have been skyrocketing for 
years. And in this roundtable that we had with seniors from the district this last weekend, the number of stories that I heard um, from retirees, hardworking people who've spent decades, you know, raising their kids, putting money away from retirement, and now face this, you know, retirement where the cost of their housing and their health care keeps going up and up and up. And they are just on the bubble. They are one heartbeat away from being placed out on the streets because the savings that they have isn't going to be enough to get them through with the way that costs are rising. And so we need to be realistic about the fact that not only is Social Security, as our single most effective anti-poverty program ever in the country, does it need to be protected and defended from the likes of Republicans who'd like to see it end in five years. But we need to do more to ensure that increases that we are putting towards Social Security go to to the costs that people are actually dealing with once they're in retirement. and that's their housing and their health care. And right now, we don't give increases that you know relate to the reality of what people are facing out there. And the next wave, unfortunately, of unhoused people in this country will be our seniors. And we're better than that. That's just not who we are as a country. And so rather than having these ridiculous conversations about ending it all together, I mean, do the Republicans have any clue what that would actually look like? to end Social Security for current retirees and for, for, you know, soon to be retirees living across this country. It's a ridiculous notion. And they ought to be ashamed of themselves for even putting it forward. But I'm excited to get there and defend the kind of people like that, like our seniors, like people right on the margin who really need the help of just some smart strategic steps taken by the federal government to ensure that they've got a a safe, affordable place to live and um, opportunities in front of them. Well, I think what you said about Republicans is very interesting. You said, do they not understand how this would play out? Can they not see how taking Social Security away would affect the country? And I think often this is how the Republican Party functions. They come up with these very extreme ideas. Let's reverse Roe, right? And then they do it. And it's like, huh. All these people are going to die from atopic pregnancies and, you know, um, miscarriages that didn't release and all of these things. It's like it's not thought through. You come up with an idea. We're going to get rid of Social Security. We're going to privatize Social Security, whatever it's going to be. Sunset it. And then you don't think it all the way through. And I think that's what we're seeing right now with abortion, which is why people are rolling back all their positions now that they're witnessing that it's very unpopular to do these things that really hurt Right. The public. Right. And, and and how quickly that changed. I mean, in my lifetime, yeah. I grew up with my mom. My mom was like really forthcoming with every bit of information that protected, you know, who I was as an independent woman, in, including the, the right scientific information about sex and sexuality. Um, but also as it related to my health. And the fact that there's this entire generation of of people, Republicans, about the same age as me, making these decisions that are completely absent of of science, let alone thought about the costs and the implications to have a 10-year-old girl forced to cross state lines to have an abortion because she had been raped, to have women being turned away from fundamental and essential health care for them right now, whatever their prescriptions are or their needs are, you know, with contraceptive or with other uh, prescriptions, methotrexate, you know, for heaven's sakes, that treats um, arthritis and a number of other conditions that women are being turned away from who need it because of its implications, um, because it could possibly lead to an abortion. And again, that you know, like education, this is so incredibly personal for me as the mother of two young adult daughters, the idea that they could go anywhere else in the United States other than California, where we're fighting like hell to protect these rights and have those rights stripped away from them, not even to be able to access contraception. It's insane to me. Yeah. And I think it's important that people understand that even in places like California where you are running, it's 
essential that we hold the House because this idea of a national abortion ban will happen if the House goes to the Republicans, that they've already yes. told us that this is what they're doing. Oh, yeah. And, they, and they've written the bill. The Life at Conception Act is the bill that is their roadmap for a nationwide abortion ban, as well as limits on contraception. And people use contraception for lots of other healthcare reasons. And also, fundamentally, it is no one else's business, particularly not the government, what any person does with their own reproductive freedom. Period. Yeah, I totally agree. Look, flipping seats like yours allow us to offset the gerrymandered seats elsewhere in the country, right? Absolutely. Places where Democrats have literally been drawn out of the ability to win. The Republicans are counting on Democrats losing, not because they can't get enough votes, but because their district has been messed with within an inch of its life. So winning has become a near impossibility. This is such an anti-democratic way to win elections. So flipping seats like yours will help keep a Democratic majority in the House and help keep our country on the side of democracy and law and order for at least two more years. And then we'll have to do it all over again in 2024 to hold the House again. But if we can expand the Senate while holding the House, we could potentially accomplish so much. And I think people need to understand that, that just holding the House for the Democrats, expanding the Senate for the Democrats, we could accomplish things like codifying the right to abortion, solidifying voting rights, bringing back the Build Back Better bill with universal pre-K and affordable college and expanding the childhood tax credits again. These are important things that the Republicans keep voting against and have told us they will absolutely decimate if they get into power, right? So it's essential in the face of this kind of strongman, fascistic behavior coming out of the Republican Party that we make sure we hold the line. And that starts with flipping seats like yours. Absolutely. And the ability to support two more years of the Biden agenda, which has been wildly popular. Every wildly aspect popular, of every ma- wildly popular, every major piece of legislation that he has gotten through that very, very narrow margin in the Senate. The House has done the heavy lift. We get it over to the Senate. And, and the president is the one who and his team have gotten them across the finish line. And they are important to improving the circumstances of people's lives. And they are well supported, even by Republicans. Yeah. And to go there and be able to help support that agenda, I think is just essential. And I think it doesn't matter if you've never voted for a Democrat in your life or if you've never voted before. This is the time to vote for the Democrat, to hold this agenda and make it better. Because one party clearly believes government can help and make things better and more fair. And one party believes the opposite. And they show us every single day. Right. Yeah. No, we yeah. can't let Kevin McCarthy be Speaker of the House and Jim Jordan. No, be head of the and, Justice and he, Committee. Is, he is my neighbor. <laughs> McCarthy is my neighbor <laughs> to the north. And man, we go to talk to voters and they are so excited to be in my district now after redistricting. Yay. Yay. Okay, so listen. Now, if we want people to help you and the grassroots campaign you're running, because I, I believe you're not yes. taking any corporate PAC money, then we need no, to ensure not. that you beat Mike Garcia. Yes. How do we do that? What's the next step? Oh, super easy. Go to Christy forcongress.org. And all the steps you need are there, whether you can donate, whether you can sign up to help us remotely. We've got people phone banking for us from, uh, you know, as far as Massachusetts into California, which we love. Um, But please go to christyforcongress.org and help any way you can. Yeah. And that's Christy with a C. C, yes, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y, yes. And I think you make a good point that there's people all over the country that can help. You do not need to be a California native to do this. You are, what you are is a pro-democracy warrior from wherever in the country to make sure that we hold the House with candidates like you. I mean, you only lost to him by 333 votes. We have to just make sure that doesn't happen again. I think we can get enough postcards and knock on enough doors to get 334 votes and change this, change this game. Yep. And reverse this seat for a good. Yep. 
Absolutely, for good. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today, Christy. CA27 is lucky to have you, and the Democrats are lucky to have you representing our party. So thank you so much, and I wish you nothing but good luck. Thank you. Great talking to you. So that was Christy Smith, congressional candidate running to represent democracy against sedition and freedom over control on behalf of CA27. Whether you're in California or elsewhere in the country, please know this is a very flippable seat and one we will need to hold the House this November. Now, we're going to take a short break to thank the sponsors who support this show, and we'll be right back after this with Dr. Annie Andrews from the 1st District of South Carolina. I have to tell you guys about this amazing service I've just started using called FrameBridge. FrameBridge is a framing company that makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without even leaving your house. Have you tried to frame something recently? I don't know about you, but my town is woefully inadequate in the stores that sell frames, and even more so in the stores that do custom framing. Do you want to add a gallery wall to your home office? Send an easy but top shelf gift? Do you want to spruce up your apartment or dorm room? From art prints to posters to the photo sitting on your phone, you can frame bridge just about anything. Here's how it works. Just go to framebridge.com and upload your photo, or they can send you packaging to safely mail in a physical piece. Preview your item online in dozens of frame styles and gallery wall layouts. Choose your favorite or get a free recommendation from their designers. The experts at FrameBridge will then custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. Instead of the hundreds of dollars you would pay at the framing store, FrameBridge prices start at $39 and their shipping is free. Plus, my listeners will get 15% off their first order at framebridge.com when they use the code politicsgirl. And if you live in New York, DC, Atlanta, Boston, Philly, or Chicago, you can even stop by a FrameBridge store and work with a designer in person. Get started today at framebridge.com and use promo code politicsgirl. That's framebridge.com, promo code politicsgirl, to save an additional 15% off your first order. Framebridge.com, promo code politicsgirl. This episode is brought to you by Wondery American Scandal. American Scandal is a podcast from Wondery that takes you deep into the most infamous scandals in American history to see what drives someone to break the rules. The newest season explores one scandal that proved uniquely polarizing and had a profound global impact all because of one man, Edward Snowden. When the young NSA contractor leaked thousands of documents outlying the secret and illegal mass surveillance operation the United States was running on its own citizens, people were shocked. Consequently, many argued, was Edward Snowden a whistleblower or a traitor? This season of American Scandal explores the questions raised by the infamous leaks. Who was Edward Snowden? Why did he do it? And how did he get caught? Listen to American Scandal, Snowden, on Apple Podcasts, Apple Music, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. And we're back, and we're with Dr. Annie Andrews, congressional candidate from South Carolina's 1st District. Dr. Andrews is a professor of pediatrics at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston and has been a pediatrician at the hospital since 2009. Dr. Andrews is a gun violence prevention researcher and community advocate, an active volunteer with Moms Demand Action, and a frequent speaker at children's hospitals and medical schools across the country on topics related to child health advocacy and gun violence prevention. She is running to represent the Low Country District of South Carolina, which stretches along the southeastern coast from Charleston to just beyond Hilton Head Island, a district that favors Republicans but has had Democratic representatives in the past. 
She is running against Nancy Mace, the congresswoman who fell out of Trump's favor when she spoke honestly for about four seconds after the January 6th insurrection, saying Trump bore responsibility for the attack, but then did a complete 180 by voting to not only not impeach him for what she had said he was responsible for, but against any hearings to find out what had actually happened. Mace was the one who went to New York to film a shamelessly pandering video in front of Trump Tower, pledging her loyalty to the former president. Dr. Andrews has said she had no intention to run for office, but as a pediatrician who works in a hospital, she had a front row seat to all the consequences of politicians' failed policies and felt it was her responsibility to be an advocate for those children and their families if her own representative wasn't going to do it. So without further ado, please welcome my second guest, pediatrician, advocate, and congressional candidate for South Carolina's first district, Dr. Annie Andrews. Welcome, Annie. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thanks for joining me. I've been following you since I heard you talk about giving our kids books and not guns. And I was like, this girl gets it, right? So as I was saying in my introduction, you really had no intention of getting into politics. You wanted to be a pediatrician since you were a little girl and you were out here living your best life, but you couldn't help but notice taking care of all these children at the hospital, how the country and essentially the policies that these politicians were creating was failing these children and their families. So you decided to run. Can you tell me about that decision? Yes, absolutely. You're exactly right. My whole life was built around my goal of being a doctor. I knew from the age of four and a half, that's what I wanted to be, a doctor and a mommy. That's exactly what I am. And I love my career as a pediatrician. It's a privilege to serve my community in that way. But going to a children's hospital every single day for over a decade, you cannot help but notice all of the things that are not working well in society, all of the challenges our kids are facing. And then you look to the state capitol and you look to Washington, D.C. for problem solvers and people who have our children's best interest in mind, and I wasn't finding them. And so I looked around and decided that I was fully qualified to do this job of serving in Congress, and I just decided to dive right in. That's amazing. I mean, you said that you were watching these children go to bed hungry, children who were underfunded schools, underpaid teachers, children who didn't have access to the internet in their homes, children who were trying to go to sleep at night hearing gunfire, children whose parents were terrified that these hospital bills would bankrupt them. And you've said that it was our elected officials' failure to care about these children that really was this greatest threat that our children were facing. And that Children in general don't have lobbyists or lawyers or super PACs, right, to stand up for them in government. Um, so from everything from COVID to gun violence, you were seeing that they needed help. They needed help with better schools, help with the very air they were breathing. And you thought that you could be the kind of representation that would would speak up for them in Congress, which is the kind of leaders we really need. Exactly. And that's how our system was of government was designed to work, right? People with some specific expertise or, you know, another career who can go up to Washington, solve some problems for a few years, and then come back to their job, and then you send up a new representative. But so much of the gridlock we see and the dysfunction we see in Washington, in my opinion, is because we have so many career politicians up there who don't have any specific expertise that informs their policymaking. They don't have a career to fall back on. So all they care about is their next election. And then that informs all of their policy decisions. And that's why we don't have much bipartisanship going on. That's why we have these hyperpartisan conversations. And it's so dysfunctional. And my problem is I'm a mom and I take care of sick kids every day. And people, we have real problems in our communities and people need to be looking out for our kids. And that's not happening. I see that. And it's not your, it's not your uh, goal to be a career politician, is it? 
Absolutely not. I never had any interest in running for office. I always wanted to be a doctor, but I couldn't shake this feeling that like things are just not going in the right direction in this country. And, you know, that primal instinct of a, as a mom really just kicked in. And it's like, I want to do whatever I can to use my voice, use my expertise in this role I have in the community as a pediatrician to fight for the things that I think are so urgent in our country right now. Annie, I couldn't agree with you more. That's why I got into what I'm doing too. I thought I cannot leave the country as it is to my son. I brought him into it. I chose this country. I chose to raise him here. And he has to have a better future than where we're headed. So I totally understand where you're headed with that. Now, I believe it was the Parkland shooting that drove you to advocacy in the first place, right? That is exactly right. So when that horrific shooting occurred, my oldest child was in kindergarten. And, you know, when the Sandy Hook shooting happened, I had just become a mother. So I think I was overwhelmed with that. And I didn't have a way to sort of react and activate after that Sandy Hook shooting. So many shootings later, the Parkland shooting happened. A few days after that shooting, I was dropping my daughter off in kindergarten and I just felt incredibly vulnerable in that moment as she walked into her elementary school. She obviously has no idea how, how much all the adults around her have failed her to the point where she might not be safe in her classroom. So that day I went home and I called my South Carolina senators. And of course, they had no plans to do anything about gun violence. And then I just had this, this click happened. And I was like, I have got to do something about this. So I reached out and found my local Moms Demand Action chapter. And that organization really catapulted this for me because by that point, um, you know, it was such a well-run, well-organized group of mostly, you know, badass, mostly women organized around creating a brighter future for all of our kids you know, in the realm of gun safety. And I learned so much from those women about how to be an effective advocate, how to use my voice. And, you know, it really gave me the confidence to take this next step, which is, of course, to run for Congress. Yeah, this is, I think, the logical next step for someone like you who feels such passion for her community. And I think that's what we should all hope to get from our politicians, people that truly care about their communities and people who truly care about the American citizen. Because I remember it so well. My children, my son is a bit older than your three kids, but it was Sandy Hook for me. You know, I remember picking him up from preschool and he was in the back of the car and I looked at him in the rearview mirror and I thought, of all the parents that would never be able to see their little kid's face in that mirror again. And I had to pull the car over and cry. I, I, I was so overwhelmed and you know, he was so little and he was like, mommy, what's wrong? And you can't explain it to them. All you can do is try and change it for them. And that's what I've been trying to do. And obviously that's what you're trying to do. And I'm, I'm so grateful that there are representatives out there um, who are really truly trying to make a difference. So you dipped your toe into politics as a gun violence prevention researcher, but you decided to truly fully dive in after seeing how your current congresswoman and your opponent, Nancy Mace, voted on topics like climate change and voting rights and health care and gun control legislation. Um, I know your initial plan was to run on protecting the health of your constituents with COVID-19 and gun violence preventions. But since you declared your candidacy, we have seen an attack on democracy beyond what any of us could have ever imagined. And we've had the reversal of Roe. So how has that changed or refocused? Focused your campaign? So I think everything changed the day that Roe fell. I really think everything changed. So when I talk, you know, at campaign events, I talk about four things. And of course, I talk about gun violence and I talk about climate change. But I believe the most urgent problems ahead of us are protecting our democracy so that our children and grandchildren actually have the opportunity to vote as adults. 
And then, you know, restoring women's reproductive freedom. When I got into this race, I never expected it to be about abortion, but that is all I am talking about on the campaign trail right now, because this was a monumental shift in the political landscape. And I think you can appreciate that strategists and pollsters have no idea what is going to happen in November. And we are in uncharted territory. You know, I'm down here in South Carolina, where today our state lawmakers are up in Columbia trying to pass a bill with zero exceptions, a total abortion ban with zero exceptions. So this is as extreme as it gets. I have two daughters in this state. I am a physician and I am running against a woman whose platform on abortion is anti-woman, anti-science and deeply unpopular. She is one of those Republicans who has since scrubbed her website of her extreme anti-abortion positions. They're all doing it. I know. And but make no mistake, like she helped to write the six week abortion ban that went into effect in my state when Roe fell. She voted She celebrated the day Roe fell. She voted against codifying Roe. She didn't vote to protect women to allow us to travel outside of the state to seek abortion services. She is as as extreme as it gets on this issue. And that is not okay. So that is fueling my campaign. And that, I think, is what is going to propel me to victory in November. Absolutely. I think people have no idea that this is not their father's midterms. Like everything you know about midterms went away when Roe fell, right? And as a doctor, you know firsthand how access to medical procedures that are essential to us is essential to the health of the entire country. In fact, you said something brilliant. Misinformation around abortion from elected representatives only underscores the fact that we need more medical doctors in all levels of government, that it's intolerable that the people making laws around our reproductive rights don't even have the basic understanding of reproductive physiology. Yes, exactly right. I mean, Senator Tim Scott now famously said in a fundraising email that pregnancy lasts 52 weeks. So, I mean, they don't have the expertise. They don't seek out the expertise. When the expertise comes knocking on their door, they turn away. I went and testified in my state capitol a couple weeks ago against this extreme bill. And when I finished my testimony, the chairman of the South Carolina Senate Medical Affairs Committee rolled his eyes at me on camera. He has disdain for women with who are using their voices, women who have expertise and knowledge. But it is maddening as a physician, just like we saw with COVID, just like we see with gun violence, the injection of politics into these issues that should not be political. Why are we legislating this medical procedure? We need to get the government out of the exam room. We need to trust women. And this should be a decision between a a woman and her physician. Well, especially since the United States has one of the highest maternal mortality rates in the Western world, and where you are in South Carolina, I think has the ninth highest maternal mortality rate in the U.S. So people are dying. They will die. This is not uh, um, hyperbolic. This is what's going to happen. Exactly. And it's it's horrifying and terrifying as a doctor and a mom. Women will die. Women have already had delays in life-saving care. Women with ectopic pregnancies, women with, you know, babies with fetal anomalies that will not allow them to survive outside of the womb. And these women now don't have choices in my state. And this is terrifying as a mother and a physician. And I I spent last weekend, you know, we had a three-day weekend. My husband was working. He's also a physician. I spent the whole weekend reading the book, The Turnaway Study, which if you haven't read it, I recommend you read, which it just 
I know I could never ask my lawmakers to read an entire book because they can't even be bothered to read a bill, but it was so enlightening. You know, abortion is a healthcare issue, of course. Abortion is a gender equity issue. It's a maternal mortality issue. It's an economic opportunity issue. It's a domestic violence issue. One of the things that really stuck out to me when I read this book last weekend, all the women who are denied abortions who then stay tethered to these violent partners because they now have a child with these partners and they stick around longer than they admit that they should have because they can't escape because they don't have any economic power. And now they have a child with this man. And it's just terrifying because I know there are so many women in my state and across the country who are now stuck in this position because of these extreme anti-abortion laws. Yeah. But I think you found a lot of support in your district, right? Since the overturning of Roe and more people coming out and young women coming up to you and saying that they've never been political before, but here they are and what can they do? Yes. I was in a room full of women last night. I had a very busy day on the campaign trail yesterday. It ended with a fundraiser last night, a room full of young women, childbearing age women, women with children in elementary school. They are not politically active women and they are fired up. They are hanging on my every word and they want to do everything they can to get me and other pro-choice candidates elected. So this is unlike anything I ever expected to see on the campaign trail. And it all goes back to the day Roe fell. So I agree with you that they don't know what's in store in November. Yeah, they bit off way more than they can chew, and they're going to choke on it as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about your positions on the issue so the people listening can now know not only where you stand, but why they should be doing everything they can to support your campaign and get you to Congress. Now, I'm just going to go through sort of your top issues, and if you want to intersperse, like feel free. You've said, obviously, there's an urgent need to protect democracy, right? That addressing voting rights is essential or the rest of what we do won't matter. Exactly. Yes. My opponent, you know, voted against the Voting Rights Act. We need to end partisan gerrymandering, which is destroying our state level governments and destroying our democracy. And it is if if we don't save our democracy, none of my other policy positions matter because we won't be in the business of democracy anymore. Absolutely. Now, you've highlighted getting past the pandemic. The Washington Post just reported that more than 10 and a half million children have lost one or both parents to the pandemic. So carrying on like this is clearly unsustainable. But as a doctor, do you really think we can get past this virus? Because it just feels like it's never ending. What, what do you think we should be doing? I mean, we need to learn to live with the virus, but we need to take politics out of science. We need to go back to listening to our public health experts. You know, that statistic about all the children who have lost their primary caregivers as a result of the pandemic is heartbreaking. And I have seen that firsthand. I took care of this adorable boy with very complex chronic medical problems. And his dad was at his bedside in the hospital every day. He, The child had COVID, but he was going to be just fine. While the child was under my care in the hospital, his mother was hospitalized on the adult unit for COVID. And during that admission, she passed away. So now this dad has lost his wife and is now charged with caring for this child with very complex chronic medical conditions. We had to rush this child's discharge on a Saturday so that he could go to his mother's funeral. These are the things that our lawmakers don't understand. When they make masking policies about their political gain, the person I'm running against did that. It infuriates me because real people lost their lives, real people lost their parents, and our communities are still suffering. So we need to, again, get politics out of science and go back and trust our doctors and our public health experts. Absolutely. And, you know, healthcare in general, I know this is a big policy for you because as a doctor, this obviously hits close to home. But 
with this boy in mind, you know, like you believe that Americans have to put their citizens' health over the profits and in, of insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies, that no one in the U.S. should go broke because their child got sick or they got sick, that we have these out-of-control medical bills and unaffordable prescription drug prices and the lack of access to care that's just kind of unacceptable across the board. Everyone deserves quality, affordable health care. And South Carolina is even more at risk because you guys didn't expand Medicaid when it was offered, right? Exactly. So we have a lot of working poor adults who are uninsured or underinsured. And that falls on the privately insured. People don't understand. Those people seek care. They, they delay their care. Then they get emergency care. They get emergency surgery. They get hospitalized when they are ill enough to be hospitalized. And that care gets paid for by people with private insurance. So it benefits everyone in my state to expand Medicaid and get more people on quality public health insurance programs. But it is heartbreaking to be at the bedside of a child who's been newly diagnosed with uh, diabetes or has dealt with asthma their whole lives and the inhaler they were using isn't working anymore. So now we have to go to a more expensive inhaler. And to see the looks on these parents' faces that they're not sure if they can afford these medications. And, you know, as a mother, I can't even imagine how heartbreaking that would feel to know what your child needs, but to not know if you can afford to give them that. And it's 2022. It's the United States of America. We should never put parents in that situation. No. And we shouldn't call ourselves the greatest country in the world if that's what we're doing to our citizens. Um, obviously, tackling gun violence is a big issue for you. It's what got you into the race in the first place. Gun death is now the leading cause of death in children across America. And you're a pediatrician. So that's obviously a big issue. And you've said that we need to be addressing climate change, that the science is settled, that it is real, that it is human made, that we have to stop making science political. And this is a reality that your opponent won't admit. But your district, with all of its coastline really can't afford to have a climate denier as a representative. I mean, the country can't afford to have climate deniers as representatives, but particularly uh, South Carolina's first. Yes. I mean, we are one of the most vulnerable districts to the effects of climate change in the entire country. And we are currently represented in Washington, D.C. by a woman who says that the science on climate change is not settled, that she is not sure if it is man-made. I wonder why. Because she takes money from fossil fuel companies, right? I mean, last week, the Crosstown, which is this main road in the Charleston Peninsula that gets you from one side to the other, was underwater two days in a seven-day period because of torrential downpours, rising sea levels, and a lack of investment in infrastructure. My opponent does not believe climate science is real. I am not a climate scientist, but I am a serious person, and I am also a scientist, and I understand when I need to seek out expertise, and that my Googling something doesn't equate to research. And we see... <laughs> we could teach everyone that. Andy, we need to teach everyone that. Absolutely. <laughs> now let's talk about your opponent. Let's talk about Nancy Mace, right? She's the Republican incumbent um, in what has been a primarily red district in a red state. I mean, like you said, you have Tim Scott and Flip and Lindsey Graham as your senators, for goodness sakes, right? Um, but Mace only won by one point in 2020. And the diehard Trumpers don't like her because despite her pandering video at Trump Tower, um, Trump still sees her as disloyal and endorsed her primary opponent. So I know why, but can you tell me why you believe you would be a better representative for South Carolina and America in Congress than Nancy Mace? Yes. So she is a career politician. She wants to climb the ladder. All she cares about is her next election. That's why she changes her website based on the most recent polling numbers. I'm not going to change my positions on the leading issues of the day based on some poll I get back. 
my positions are informed by my perspective as a pediatrician, as a mom. They're informed by my moral compass and how I was raised and informed by my belief that my job in Congress will be to help the constituents in my district. Nancy Mace is not a serious person. She was quoted, you know, her staff said in a Politico article, she sits down at policy meetings and says, I'm not going to listen to an effing thing that's said here, just so you all know. She's not a serious person. She is not interested in writing policy to help her constituents. She wants to take that next step. I think she wants a job on cable news, frankly, but I am more than happy to help her get there. I want to term limit myself, serve a few terms in Washington and come back and do the job that I love at the Children's Hospital. Yeah, you've said you'll do three terms in Congress because your job has always been to be a pediatrician, but you're going to go and do public service, which is how it was supposed to be, uh, for no more than three terms, and then go back to your life as a mother and a doctor. I think that makes a lot of sense. I've watched Nancy Mace, you know, she does things like hold AR-15s as props and say things like radical, far-left, liberal, DC Democrats, you know, all the buzzwords. Um She's on TV every chance she can get. I think you're right that she would prefer to be on Fox News. And if we can help her get there, then knock knock ourselves out. Um, but she's there pushing extremism and conspiracy theories and all the things that only continue to divide us. She's just also on the wrong side of just every issue, right? She voted against the bill on the floor after the Uvalde shooting. Um, she voted against the January 6th hearing. She voted against impeaching Donald Trump. And as you said, we should be addressing climate change and here she is ignoring it. So I, I really do think that the the people of South Carolina, but also the people of America would be far better suited to have someone like you in Congress um, voting for our best interests rather than their own. I couldn't agree more. Her voting record speaks for itself when I'm speaking to crowds at campaign events and I go through all the things she's voted no on. People are shocked yeah. and people are incredibly disappointed on about her voting record because she is up there to represent us. And like you said, she's on the wrong side of these issues. She's on the wrong side of the gun violence issue and the wrong side of the abortion issue and the wrong side of the climate change issue. And she's going to pay in November. Damn right. <laughs> now, if people want to help you get to Congress to be this new kind of representative there to do your public service, there to fix things and then go back to your life and encourage another passionate person to take your place, how can they help you? Yes. So they can go to my website, which is DrAnnieAndrews.com. So much of what drives politics right now is money. And that is the fact. And my opponent has more money than I do. So I need contributions to my campaign so that I can get up on TV because I know when voters in this district get to know who I am and hear what I believe in, and they compare that to what we have with Nancy Mace, they will choose me. But it costs money to get up on TV so people know who I am. So I need folks to go online, make contributions. People can volunteer for my campaign no matter where you live. We can have phone bankers and text bankers from all across the country. And then people can follow me on social media. So I'm Annie Andrews MD on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and follow along with the campaign and share as you see fit. And you know, I feel so much support from my community and from all across this country. And I, it's an incredible privilege to be running for office at this really urgent moment in our nation's history. And I feel so supported by so many women and men across this country. And I would love for people to be a part of that journey with me. I want to thank you for joining me today, Dr. Annie. As you said, when you work in a children's hospital, you can't look away from all the problems you see. But as a pediatrician, people trust you to be completely honest with them, and you're going to bring that same trustworthiness to Washington. As your lawn sign slogan says, Dr. Annie Andrews for Congress, until the kids are all right. Exactly. Thank you so much for having me. 
So that was Dr. Annie Andrews, candidate for South Carolina's first district and the pro-choice, pro-democracy gun rights advocate running against the stands for nothing, Nancy Mace. Annie upended her whole life to serve her district and her country, and that kind of call to public service should be exactly the kind of people we send to Congress. Remember, both Dr. Andrews and Christy Smith are in flippable districts. And if we want to hold the House and save democracy, these are great races to donate to, help out with, or tell your friends about. Take the time to figure out where your money and energy can be best spent and then do it. This is not a test. Every race is essential, but these are winnable races and they are no-brainers when it comes to where to best devote your resources. I want to thank Christy Smith and Dr. Annie Andrews for joining me today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go out and get a Democrat elected. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.